Hello everyone and welcome today to today's webinar. I'm Elizabeth Kerr from Business Forward and I'll be moderating our conversation today. Currently all lines are in listen only mode. Today we are discussing preparing your business for a cyber attack and we're pleased to welcome Anil Marcos, a principal at EY and a leader in their cybersecurity practice. We'll discuss the finding of EY's recent Global Information Security Survey and how you can be ready to recognize and react to cyber attacks on your own company. For those of you who are new to our programming, Business Forward is a national business organization that helps business leaders from across America brief Washington on how to create jobs and accelerate the economy. Over the past several years, we've helped tens of thousands of business leaders brief more than 550 senior administration officials, members of Congress, governors, and mayors. Um, before we begin, I need to cover a few housekeeping items. First, if you haven't accessed the presentation part of this webinar, please click on the link in your confirmation email that says Open Visual Interface. Uh, you can also access the slides by going to our website, which is businessfwd.org. Also, we will email you a copy of the presentation later today as part of our follow-up email. Second, this call is on the record and there might be recorders, recorders present. This also means that we can uh, email you a recording of the call after afterward as well as the PowerPoint. Finally, this is an interactive webinar and there will be time for questions after Anil's presentation. And there are a few different ways you can ask a question. First, you can just press 1 on your telephone keypad to ask a question live. You can also type your question into the chat window on your control panel or you can email your question to us at info at businessfwd.org. And if you email us a question or put it in the chat window, please include your name, business, and what state you're calling from so we can introduce you with your question. If we call on you to ask the question live, please provide that information when we call on you. Uh, with that, uh, so we would like to get in as many questions as possible. So feel free throughout Anil's presentation uh, to put questions in the chat box or to press 1. And we might go to a few of those during the presentation, which isn't too long, um, or more likely go to those afterward. So with that, uh, let's get started. Please welcome Anil Marcos. Hi, Liz. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak to the group and really excited to be here. Uh, just a, a quick intro on myself. Um, as Liz said, my name is Anil Marcos. I'm a principal with EY's uh, cybersecurity uh, practice. Um, I, per I focus primarily on cyber threat uh, management, so which is really in the lanes of the detection of, of bad guys on clients' environments and, and the response um, associated with that. Background-wise, I started my career in the Air Force. Uh, spent four years in the, in the United States Air Force doing security operations and uh, incident response as well as some tactical comms. Uh, was deployed to Iraq for about a year in, as part of uh, uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Joined EY in 2005 in our security practice and kind of have grown up here at EY. Uh, was also part of a startup very recently, uh, an organization by the name of Mandiant um, that is heavily in the incident response space. Um, really excited to be here. I mean, some of the things that I'm going to talk about today is is coming from our uh, Global Information Security Survey, which you could access from EY's website. Uh, we'll get that to you. The, um, there's, you know, this is our 19th year doing a survey uh, of CIOs, Chief Information Security Officers, Chief Risk Officers. We polled about 1,700 uh, executives across uh, global companies and trying to understand what top, top of mind issues are in the cyberspace for them. So I'll talk a little bit about some content that came out of that survey and the results of that survey, um, as well as other information that we're getting as we talk to other clients and, and being in the market. Uh, I hope 
you know, that this is uh, an inter interactive conversation, as Liz said, and, uh, so open to any questions uh, or commentary um, as we go through this. We'll start with the, the first slide. I'd like to kind of set the stage as to, you know, for some folks that may not be extremely familiar with, you know, what is happening in the space. I mean, today, if you look at, you know, any of the news channels, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, I mean, I think you'll see that cybersecurity is a, is a top, you know, issue that is being presented in a lot of, a lot of forums. Uh, really what's causing this is really a, the, I described it as the perfect storm in a, in a technology evolution that we're, we're going through. If you look at slide, the first slide, it's, you know, really what you see is uh, in the middle box in the yellow, you'll see kind of an evolution of technology in all lanes, whether it be mobile, on the data side, cloud computing, um, social media has exploded over the last five to ten years, and then this concept of Internet of Everything, which is really the idea that anything that can be connected to the Internet really is being connected, whether that be, you know, home appliances to cars to, to you know, anything you could think of is really going in the direction of being connected to the Internet. Um, you know, a couple of data points on this, you know, you'll see the 35, it's, it's you know, we, we think of it as really the evolution to take a new technology to a, a critical mass uh, within, within a user population. And we believe it to be about 35 days now for something new that is innovated today before it hits about 50 million users, which is, a, which is an amazing scale of how quickly uh, people are adopting new technologies. Uh, if you come down to the bottom left, it's, you know, the idea is, you know, Cisco put out something very recently that said, um, you know, 1% of devices that could be connected uh, to the Internet in the world actually are. And so the, the opportunity for more things to be connected is, is pretty amazing. Um, and then we think about, you know, by 2020, we think it's about 50 billion different um, sensors or, or items that are going to be connected uh, to the Internet. So um, this is really going back to the complexity of the situation. For most organizations right now, uh, it, you know, not only do they not even know in a lot of cases what all is connected to the Internet, the idea of being able to protect detect and then be able to respond when something bad happens is a very daunting task. Um, you take along with that the complexity of the, sh of the skills shortfall. 86% um, of organizations believe that there is a shortage of skilled cybersecurity professionals in the market today. And this number is growing at an astronomical level of, you know, almost 1.5 million uh, by the year 2020. And so, it's one of the hottest markets, I think, if you're in the technology space, uh, it's probably one of the hardest skill sets to recruit and retain for. Um, one of the other interesting things is 197 plus days is the average what we call dwell time. The concept of dwell time is the amount of time that a, an attacker can sit on your environment or network before they're even detected. And so if you think about a majority of a year, um, an attacker can actually sit in a corporate environment before they're even detected. And a lot of times the detection is because they've made a mistake, not because of proactive capabilities that the organization has to even detect them. And this is really the, you know, the, uh, the state of, of the current environment and why this, comp this uh, topic is so complex and why no matter in, in a lot of cases how much money is thrown at it, uh, the situation doesn't seem to get better. Uh, and I want to kind of start there so that we all had an appreciation for, I don't think there is a silver bullet out there, and uh, you won't hear from me today that, you know, we have the exact answer for how to solve all of this. Next slide, please. 
this uh, next slide really talks about kind of the evolution. So how did we get here, right, is always an interesting kind of storyboard to think about. Uh, you know, this, the, the Internet and the concept of connected items on the Internet is not a new um, uh, concept. Uh, we've been in this business for over 20 years of, of things being connected uh, the, and in, uh, at, at a corporate level. The idea is really the complexity of the attacks have really exploded and the number of things, as we would call surface area, that an attack can actually land on has also exploded is really the issue. Uh, this is a very busy slide, but I want to kind of throw out a few concepts here. One is along the top is the sophistication of the attacker. Not every attacker is a state-sponsored nation state with a military that's doing cyber warfare. Some of these attacks are coming from political groups, hacktivists. Uh, some of these are just folks that are experimenting with hacking tools that are out there. And so there's a, there's a wide range of, of, of sophistication and maturity within the attacker group as, as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, and what they're able to do is also uh, very different. As you come from that left side to the right side, the ability for them to hide in an environment uh, without being detected, the amount of resources that they can throw towards a target, um, and typically the types of things that they're going after are a little bit different as well. And so we look at this because uh, depending on who you are or what your company does, who uh, may be interested in entering your environment in a malicious manner may be very different. Um, what a state-sponsored attack is looking at will, will not be the same in a lot of times as what organized crime is looking for uh, from a motivation standpoint. The other thing is along the bottom right, you know, we look at from mainframe technologies uh, you know, in the early days to what it is now, which is uh, completely, un un uh, completely distributed technologies that are freestanding almost in the Internet, it's a completely different concept. And the hard shell of a perimeter really doesn't exist anymore. All of your assets really are out there in the wild um, with full exposure is really the, the complexity. We like to say, you know, the tagline at the bottom uh, is, for most organizations right now, it's you're either in, you're either in the bucket of you've actually experienced a breach uh, and you understand and have an appreciation for this, or you're just not you're not detecting it yet. Um, in a lot of cases right now, we, you know, if we did an analysis in most environments, we would find some level of activity um, in a corporate environment. And this is, this is really an interesting um, shift in the mindset. I would say you know, in the consulting business, if I talked to a client um, five to ten years ago, the idea that you know, maybe there was a little bit of denial that they were not a target, uh, that they probably did not have anything of value that would make them um, uh, targeted has really shifted. I think most organizations have an appreciation that there is something of value there and today that they may not even have the ability to detect or respond to that. Next slide, please. So that sets the stage for kind of the complexity of the environment and really the evolution of the cyber threat and, and really how we got here. Uh, you know, history is always useful to understand, but, you know, we are still living in the day and age where we have to deal with the problem. And a lot of times, you know, where we go with this is if the, if the attack is really unavoidable, how do, we, how do we solve this problem? And, you know, for a lot of organizations, the question I get asked a lot is, should I even bother trying? Uh, because if, if this is a, a no-win situation, how do, I, how do I defend myself? 
I, I try to explain this in a, in a couple of different ways. One is the approach of protecting everything is, is really a losing battle. Uh, and for a lot of organizations, there's, a, there's going to be collateral damage that, that is acceptable uh, in, a, in a cyber situation. And so the key here is really to, in a, to approach this in a very structured way to understand what is the most valuable assets in your organization and how do you differentially invest in protecting those assets. Uh, we, we, take, we take a lot of organizations to a, you know, a very simple five-step process of, you know, in, in, a, in a company today, do you, do you have an understanding of you know, what you have that others may want? You know, what is your intellectual property? What is your crown jewel? What is your market differentiator? What is it that is the special sauce that you have in your organization that may make it valuable? Now, it's not just that. It also could be information. For example, sensitive information on clients, customers that you have, that uh, you have a fiduciary responsibility to protect that may, be, ha that may have extreme value in the black market um, in the cyber exchanges. Um, so you have to kind of understand what is that asset that you have that needs to really be protected. And then you work up that stack and you go, you know, do you have business plans that could make these assets more vulnerable? Um, you know, do you, are you today, you know, looking at moving into emerging markets? Are there certain international expansions that you're thinking of? Are, are you looking at, uh, you know, strategies around moving into the cloud or using, using um, assets like in a lot of healthcare uh, organizations like wearables that, that are monitoring heart rates and things like that. So there's business strategy that, and a lot of times, uh, to my uh, point from the first slide, that will increase your attack surface, uh, which will allow bad guys to come into the soft spot in, in your environment. When you go from there, it's really, you know, do you understand how these assets could be accessed or disrupted? So if we know that we are we have these critical assets. We know that the exposure to, the, to these critical access, assets may be um, increased because of business strategy. Do we know how someone gets access to it? Uh, is it accessible from the Internet? Do we know, uh, you know how could you break that system or disrupt what it does? And this is really, you know, I, I like to describe this as thinking like the attacker, right? We have to put ourselves in the shoes of the attacker and look at our company from the outside in and say, how, how would an attacker look at this organization? What, could, what bad could they do? Um, and then once you go into that mindset, it's really a, a, a question of would you even know if that attack was occurring? What instrumentation do you have? What data sets do you have to say, I could detect if that scenario that I was really thinking about as a really bad scenario could occur and I could detect that? And if you know that it can be detected, in a lot of cases, the answer is we would not be able to detect that because we don't have the tools, we don't have the technology, we don't have the processes in place. And that's work that has to be done. Uh, but then on top of that is once you're able to detect it, uh, going back to my earlier point of the 197 days, at some point or another you want to be able to detect that before the 197 days. Once you detect it, how would you respond? Are you able to shut down those systems? Are you able to do anything that is uh, disruptive to the business to kind of break that cycle that the attacker is going through? Uh, and this is really a very structured approach that goes through it. And I would say that this is a very risk-based approach. For a lot of organizations, they will go into the mindset that, yes, I have some exposure, some bad things may happen, but the ROI or the return that I would get in the amount I spend to 
stop that versus what I make in going into that space are, are not the same, right? And so this is a calculated risk uh, in, in a lot of uh, organizations today where they understand that they are walking into uh, that perfect storm. They may experience some collateral damage. They may get breached. However, the business strategy uh, is, is, is there's a significant benefit to the business strategy to take on that risk. And that's, that's really how a lot of organizations are looking at this. It's not going to be a situation where you could turn off that risk completely. Next slide, please. This is a, a slide that you know, I, I, I don't want to walk through in detail, but I wanted to make sure that you had it as part of the presentation. It's really a, um, an, an approach to kind of self-assess. Uh, for a lot of organizations, they don't want to go through a formal assessment in the fear of what they may find or uh, you know, what that forces them to go do from a remediation standpoint. But I would encourage you, uh, you know, at least to sit down with you know, your internal technology IT folks and security folks and go through a self-assessment and really understand where you are. Uh, we, we think of organizations in really three, three large-scale buckets, and this is very generalized. Um, and you know, it, you're either in a maturity where you're activating your capabilities and you're really trying to uh, you know, understand what you have foundationally, or you're in an adaptive capability, which means you are probably building out uh, cybersecurity, you're looking at a transformation of some sort, and you're, you're enhancing those capabilities. And then the last one, which is really the, the, the level everyone is trying to stay in and achieve, it's, uh, an, it's an ability to anticipate proactively when something is happening. What typically happens is organizations start off in an activate mode, they'll go through a transformation and get into, an, into a dynamic mode, and then the business starts to evolve and you know, they may, for a short period of time, be able to get into a proactive level where they can understand what's happening. But because of business changes, strategy changes, technology changes, they will slip back to a, a level two or a level one kind of uh, scale. And so this is a constant investment uh, story of as the business changes, as the threats changes, as your environment changes, you have to constantly relook the strategy and relook your capabilities to, to stay in that, in, that, in that space that you're looking to stay in. Um, the, you know, the, as you go through this, I would say one of the big areas that um, a lot of organizations ask me to, to help them think through is the metrics. How do we know that the spend that we are making in this particular area is actually returning anything? Cyber is a very interesting space in the fact that it's, it's no news is good news. And so it's really hard to measure. If I go and spend X dollars in, in, in cybersecurity and I don't hear anything, is that good news? And if, that's, if that is good news, how do I continue to spend in that without uh, demonstrating value? And so you know, this is an area where you know, we are, it's an evolving space, I would say, is really to kind of under, help organizations understand how do you measure success. And that success is really in, in you know, what has been detected and what has been avoided from a breach standpoint as opposed to really um, you know, proactive value from a, from a business standpoint. This is a risk avoidance strategy more than uh, anything. What we are seeing is a lot of organizations are taking this cyber spend and moving it into a competitive uh, differentiation point of view. And this is a more mature metrics capability to be able to go into the market and say that your security is is better than your competitors and therefore it gives you a market advantage. And this is really where a lot of organizations that are more mature in the space are moving towards is to, to turn this 
investment into a, into a market differentiator for them. The next slide really just talks to, you know, uh, a couple of things about um, EY cybersecurity locations. Just wanted to give you a, a quick view as to, you know, once again, the complexities. In our, in our world, uh, this is a very hard, even for a consulting organization, uh, very hard world to retain talent and to grow talent. Uh, even in a consulting organization where I'm able to take folks from one exciting project to the next exciting project, there's still a revolving door. This is probably one of the biggest challenges uh, for many of my clients today is that they have a mission to do. Uh, they are hiring top talent in the, out of the market, but constantly, you know, most of these folks are leaving the organization with about, within about two years, and so they go through a cycle where they're spending a lot of time training these folks, these, these resources are learning the organization, they're understanding the business strategy, and then within you know, two to three years, they're looking back in the market and jumping again. And a part of this is because of the, of the skill set shortage that the demand is very high in the market. Um, the other part of this is I think uh, a lot of cybersecurity folks understand that to stay current in what's happening, you have to have a ton of different types of experiences to be able to, to keep your own skill set very sharp. Um, it's, I think this is the nature of what this business is going to look like for a very long time until we get into different models to solve this type of problem. With that, I'll pause and I'll turn it back over to Liz and see if we can uh, take some questions from the group. Uh, great, thank you. And I'll just remind everyone, if you have a question, you can either press 1 on your telephone keypad. You can email us your question to info at businessfwd.org, or as some of you have done, you can put that question in the chat box. Uh, I've, we've got a couple of emailed questions that I'm going to start with as folks continue to uh, as folks continue to press 1 on their phone. Uh, this first question comes from Indra Klein, and she's asking, for small companies that are a supply chain to a larger entity, including government, what are your thoughts on best practices on managing and mitigating threats in a cost-effective manner? Yeah, this is a great question. I think especially in, uh, in the defense sector, this is becoming a big, big topical area of uh, supply chain security and what you know the way that a lot of the larger organizations are looking at this is really to number one you know a large um, entity could have thousands of organizations that feed into that supply chain um, some of the supply chain uh, you know some of the smaller companies in that supply chain are not going to be able to um, build out a security program the size of a large scale uh, uh, player and so this is a very interesting uh, problem that uh, we're seeing in the market. I think what we are seeing is really a, um, an understanding of the critical thread that comes across that supply chain. So, for example, uh, in a large scale, you know, a defense contractor or uh, you know any any in, um, uh, industry in which this is this type of, a, of an ecosystem occurs, what we're finding is really they're building out programs specific to uh, different product lines that uh, then clearly go down the thread of what are the critical assets within that supply chain. So not every vendor in that supply chain or every company in that supply chain is equally valuable in the in the in the in the security of that entire uh, finished product. And so what they're doing is really risk ranking at, at a top level all of the the players of the ecosystem, 
and then really mandating out uh, different levels of security protocols uh, depending on you know, the, the, the importance of, of the piece that you put together into that ecosystem in, in the larger picture. The, what we're also seeing is a, a more community-like approach to securing that supply chain. I, I think, um, you know, my personal perspective on this is I think it's very hard to kind of push down requirements that are, from a business standpoint, not sustainable for a smaller vendor. And so what we're seeing is a lot of the larger players in these types of situations are, are taking that upon themselves. So if it's a critical um, uh, company in the ecosystem, they're, they're spending their resources to help the smaller company um, kind of defend their environment. Um, and so th this is really the approach that, that is being taken. We're also seeing um, you know, different models like joint venture, cloud environments uh, get stood up where you're almost looking at joint environments that are, that are, that are shared, shared protection models uh, where you don't, you, don't, you don't pick up the burden of protecting that entirely by yourself. Thanks. And um, she just had a quick follow-up to that. You know, should you determine that your data or network was compromised, what is the recommended or expected timeline to report that occurrence to either a government entity or your shareholders or partners or clients? So I, I will, you know, at a, just at a blanket statement, I'll defer that to uh, your general counsel. I, I would say there's a couple of um, things on this. One is uh, we have seen probably over the last couple of years, uh, you know, some major breaches in which the companies have jumped the gun and reported too early, um, which has caused a, a massive mess for them uh, in the fact that they just were not well prepared to answer the questions that came up. We've also seen the exact opposite where they have um, reported too late and the appearance of a cover-up or an appearance of um, a lack of integrity in that process is, is kind of perceived in the market. And you know, there's, there's some repercussions to that as well. Um, I think a lot of this is, you know, uh, what we're, we are seeing is number one is it's, it's a, it takes a village to kind of make that decision. One is the, a very key part of that decision-making process is the internal general counsel with, um, with consultation with a specialized law firm that really does crisis management and cyber-related crisis management type um, uh, consultations. The second part of that is an incident response player that is specialized in, in kind of handling the breach response itself from a technical level. And the third aspect of it is a PR firm. Uh, we are seeing that this is becoming the trifecta of how to handle this is really a legal entity that is very well equipped to handle the interpretation of what your requirements are. The second part is a security uh, player that is specialized in incident response that knows how to get you through the breach. And the third part being the PR firm that knows how to manage the market spin uh, with shareholders, investors, uh, media and others to kind of make sure that this doesn't spit out of control. A lot of these breaches, I mean, you know, I would say many companies out there hand, are, are dealing with breaches. Uh, the fact that you have a breach is not, it, it's not, it's not earth-shattering news. I think what becomes earth-shattering news is your ability to handle the breach correctly. Um, and so that's where this becomes a very slippery slope is if you can't handle the breach correctly, it starts to cause a bigger problem than the breach itself. Uh, great, thank you. Our next question is a live question from Kristen Anderson. 
Kristen, your line is open. Please uh, let us know where you're calling from and what your business is, and go ahead and ask your question. Hi. Um, my name is Kristen Anderson. I'm calling from Carbondale, Illinois, and I have a travel business. And what I want to know is, have you ever worked with companies like mine to protect from from uh, cyber security before? Yeah, so we have. I mean, so you know, not, not just uh, a a sole travel business. I mean, where we have seen this come up, uh, you know, quite a bit is uh, even large organizations that have um, executive mobility, you know, departments or even uh, travel, you know, travel, uh, or, you know, organizations within larger organizations. The you know the cybersecurity aspects of this is really uh, a, a couple of things. One is um, when you know when employees or individuals with higher profile uh, are traveling to higher risk areas, uh, there's a lot of consideration being put around um, physical security uh, for these individuals as they travel. But then, two, uh, laptops, mobile devices, assets that they bring into those countries, because you can expect that uh, there is certain types of surveillance, certain types of um, activity that starts to occur on those machines that you know that is from a spyware or malware type of standpoint. Um, other things that we are seeing is around uh, the protection of private information. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, information around um, sensitive information that you may put in a travel profile, like birth date, uh, emergency contact information, address, uh, you know, uh, everything else that you link, credit card information. So there's a lot of sensitive information that from an organized crime standpoint uh, could be very interesting to, to accumulate on an individual. Um, and so, you know, the security of that, I mean, how does an individual's travel profile get secured and, you know, their activities as they're traveling get secured is also an interesting topic that's come up. Um, and the third thing I would say is, is uh, regarding um, uh, uh, targeted phishing uh, or targeted uh, uh, social engineering that's occurring on high-risk profiles. So if you, have if you have folks that are in research and development, um, areas in, in kind of very sensitive areas within a company, and if they travel to a conference, they travel to you know, different uh, things, what we are seeing is a lot of times they come back and they are immediately uh, inundated with uh, LinkedIn invites, uh, Facebook invites. Uh, they are getting unsolicited invites, uh, and a lot of this is because they're being profiled while they're while they're um, at these conferences. And some of these uh, reach outs are not all you know friendly invites. I mean, some of these are long-term campaigns where they're trying to build trust over a long period of time, and then ultimately either flip flip that individual through blackmail or other methods, or uh, you know they're being targeted for some sort of um, uh, cyber attack. And so you know I think the travel, um, you know, this goes back to you know everything is now you know for a lot of organizations, this is all on, on mobile devices. This is everything else, but it, it takes that individual outside of a protected bubble, you know, if you if you will, and brings them into the wild wild west where they are going to be. Um, you know they're going to get uh, they're going to get hit by a lot more threats than if they're sitting inside of that corporate environment. Uh, great, thank you. Uh, we have a couple more questions from the chat box. The first one is from Charles Moray, and he's from Detroit uh, and runs Invest Michigan. And his question is: As a small company, we rely on cloud enterprise provided electronic filing system. 
what do we need to know about protecting our client data when we are relying on a large enterprise to protect that data? Yeah, this is becoming is a great question. This is becoming a, a bigger trend um, um, than it is a you know a, an anomaly. I would say the the biggest issue it goes back to that earlier slide that I had about understanding you know what your exposure is, and if you take that five step process of you know in that data set that is sitting in a in a cloud environment or a, a third party's environment, you know do you have a, a good understanding of what is sensitive uh, from from a responsibility standpoint that you have in, as a custodian of that data, what is sensitive there would be question number one. Two is, you know, do, do you understand how the third party is securing that information? And there are a lot of vehicles uh, from an assurance standpoint, whether that be um, different types of, of, as they would say, uh, SOC reporting or uh, different types of assurance reporting that can be done that that you could request as a client to that third party that is asking for you know everything from I'd like to understand how you are securing this information to I'd like to come on site and see um, how this information is being secured and you know what your security procedures are and so depending on how much risk that creates for your organization I would say you would you would want to ramp up the the level of comfort you have in the security of that information. The bigger issues in, in the cloud area today is um, if, if there is an incident, so for example, if some of that data ended up in the Internet, um, the process in which you would go through to, to determine um, true liability and who, who, who caused the breach can be very complicated. Uh, so you will end up in a lot of situations with a lot of finger pointing of you know, the vendor saying that the process was on your end and, and something broke on your end and then you pointing back at the vendor saying uh, it was your job to protect that. And so it really kind of, uh, I would say the best practices are number one is pre, uh, proactively to kind of understand security practices, policies, procedures. What are they doing from a proactive standpoint to protect the data? But then two, uh, to almost stress test the system a little bit or from a from a couple of scenarios. If we if this happens, such as this type of, of data ends up on the Internet, uh, how, do we, how, how is this handled? What is your responsibility? What is our responsibility? Um, how do we get notified? And really to kind of flesh out those protocols uh, before there's an actual incident it would be my recommendation. Um, great. Thank you. We have another emailed question here, or from the chat box rather. And this is from Paul Lashmet from Armac, New York, and he's with Newcastle Integration. Um, and he's writing, there are so many vendor solutions out there. How do you distinguish between them? Are there a best breed of solutions for certain functional areas? And if so, uh, what are your suggestions for those areas? Yeah, so the, the, this, is, this is a phenomenal question. I, I would say you know, in, in my time in security, I've never seen so many product uh, players in the market uh, as it is now. I, it, they are, there is really a, almost a drowning level of, of security products in the market. Uh, I think there is a consolidation of, of some of this happening as some of the venture capital around startups is starting to dry up a little bit in the security space, and there is a little bit of a consolidation. Uh, typically, this is uh, you know what uh, what we do a lot of times for clients is to is to you know the way I the way I can explain this the best is to say you know think about um, there's a concept that Lockheed Martin had put out called the kill chain, cyber kill chain. And it's really a, um, an, an approach to you know, really break down a process that the, 
um, the attacker takes to bring, come into your environment. And so if you think about this from an attack um, life cycle and everything from, you know, the attacker must stand, start on the outside and do some reconnaissance um, and then potentially either do phishing or some sort of way, you know, whether using malware or something to come into the environment. They have to come from the outside and come in unless they have an insider. Um, once they come in, they have to harvest credentials at an endpoint or a laptop or a server or some sort of machine, whether that's a mobile device or something. They have to, they have to establish a beachhead or a presence on, on an actual asset. Um, once they do that, they have to elevate their credentials and get to a certain level of, of user permissions to be able to do uh, malicious things on the environment. And then they have to f find their way through your environment to whatever is of value, wherever that is, in a SharePoint, in a file share, in a, in a drive somewhere. And then they have to figure out how to get that out of the environment, right? And so if you think of that as the entire process that an attacker has to go through, what we're seeing is a lot of point solution products that do one or two things across that entire uh, kill chain. There are very few products that do everything across that entire kill chain. And so what a lot of organizations are doing are they're buying, you know, 20, 30 of these products and then they're trying to tie this together so that you could have visibility from the front door all the way to the safe that's in a closet somewhere and you could see the bad guy, you know, walking on your lawn, walking up to the front door, going in the front door, walking up the stairs to that class, you know, that that sensitive room, walking to the closet getting to your safe, and then walking back out the door. And they're trying to see that entire visibility across the network. Um, there are, you know, and I would say this, the complexity of this is uh, what is best for you is dependent on a couple of things. Number one is the architecture of your network. Um, you know, two is already investments that you've made in products. You want, you're going to want to find products that integrate with other products. Um, so if you're already heavily invested in a certain type of product suite, you know, the recommendation may be to find other products that sit in that space. Um, and then also, you know, what we typically do is we take, you know, an existing set of products that an organization may have, map it across this journey from that, that curb all the way to the safe and then back to the curb and say, you know, where do I have blind spots? You know, I don't have sensors here. I don't have lights here. I don't have any way to detect the following types of activities. So recommendation number one would be, you know, cover off on your blind spots. And then two really is going to be, you know, take products not necessarily best of breed, but that are at a level that is adequate enough for your, you know, investment appetite and has an integration opportunity with other things that's in your environment. And then the third part is you have to be able to stitch all of this together. Um, I'd say the biggest problem that a lot of organizations are, happening now, are having now is all of these products have been bought and they're generating too much noise. So they've got sensors going off all over the place and not enough people or process to kind of understand what is the noise versus the real, um, real bad stuff that's happening. And so, you know, we're getting into data analytics and other things to kind of reduce the noise around this space. So it's, it's, it's a complex answer, but I would say um, I completely agree with the comment that um, the product space is extremely overcrowded at this point. Uh, great, thanks. We have time for just a few more questions. This is a live question from Angela Johnson. Angela, go ahead. Your line's open. Go ahead and introduce yourself and ask your question. Hi, my name is Angela Johnson. I have a little bit of a background in technology and um, mostly in data. And um, what we find is um, 
a lot of times data is secured at, a, at the role, meaning at the user level. And role-based security is very, is very pretty good. But um, we find that a lot of the intrusion that we've experienced um, personally in our businesses have been at the network level, which is interesting because we're thinking, well, we don't have access to the cloud, right? Not directly. We don't have access to um, the MAN, meaning the metropolitan area networks, but the providers that provide internet do. So I'm wondering, at which point are we able to work with the providers so that they expose not just I know there's demarcation for the firewalls, and some of this, them you know, end at a certain point on the premise, but then some of the intrusion is coming in at, a, at another level. So like, when and where are we able to, at some point, provide a deeper level of security from a proactive and a reactive perspective so that we can catch some of the things that are really critically important that are affecting our lives, our business, our homes, um, yeah. and be able to, to ascertain who the people are so that we can, can prevent further um, security, cybersecurity attacks at every level. And then also, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I, I concur totally that these attacks are the initial attacks. And a lot of times, if if a person or a group of people have targeted individuals or their businesses or companies, then these attacks snowball into something else. And so if we're, if we're able to proactively prevent them from going beyond that first, you know, that first um, alert, then I think that we can prevent a lot of, like you said, collateral damage later on and save a lot of money in the process. So. Yeah. Um, Comments? Any comments or? Yeah, no, yeah, I, 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 I 100% agree. I, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great observation. I mean, you know, so, you know, th there was a slide that was, I think, my second slide that had the kind of the evolution of the threat. Um, you know, and I, I look at that and I say, you know, you have everything from an unsophisticated attacker that just happens to be playing around on the internet, all the way to a state-sponsored attack. And I would say most organizations are not dealing with state-sponsored attacks. Um, you, know, you know, unless you have some extremely interesting intellectual property, research and development, you're probably not in the spy game um, in, in, in a lot of cases. However, you know, does organized crime have some interest in you because you have some data that may have some mar you know, black market value uh, whether that be credit card information, whether that be um, you know, sensitive information on individuals that they could use, uh, you know, healthcare information, things like that that may have black market value, um, and then you know, it, you know, you come down into uh, you know competitive intelligence that may be uh, being used by certain countries and, and things like that. But you know, I, I think for the most part, most organizations, um, you know, unless you are in that global. Um, you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 100 area. You're not in that in that extremely right side of the of the of the sector uh, of the of the threat landscape uh, point of view. Now, if you are part of the ecosystem of a larger play, uh, you're like in the defense sector. Even though you're a smaller company, you have a critical asset in that ecosystem. Absolutely, you could be targeted by a state-sponsored attack. I think of this as you know what you should expect from your internet service provider or your telecom provider is is a reduction in noise 
of some some levels, right? And so that you know, you should not be seeing commodity level malware, commodity level noise coming and hitting your uh, perimeter network. That should be levels of noise that we could take out of the system at, at a much higher level in the in the architecture. Now what what you know you are not going to be able to do is stop the phishing emails that come into the environment. Even phishing email if it's if it's recognized as spam or if it's recognized as junk mail, uh, for a lot of organizations that's that's caught right at the filtering level uh, of their perimeter. Now at some point you'll have targeted phishing that comes in and, and it's a targeted email you'll have an individual that clicks on that link that, that starts to create an issue. Um, and that, you know, is, is you have to then now educate that user to say, you know, we have to, you know, at the end of the day, it always comes down to the weakest link being the individual that clicks on the link or the individual that doesn't know how to report suspicious activity. And we have to, we have to heighten that level of awareness uh, across the organization. The other part of this is I would always argue that at some point, the attacker becomes an insider, right? And so, uh, you know, if you have an attacker that starts on the outside, they come through that front door, they come in. After a certain point of, you know, after a certain point of that attack, what they do is they take your active credentials. And so, you mentioned role-based access. What will eventually happen is they will steal credentials of an actual employee. And if they're a good attacker, they're not even going to change the password. They're going to operate as if they're the employee during off hours, uh, during times when that credential is not being utilized. Um, and so then it becomes really hard to detect because it's almost like you're trying to catch an employee that may be doing something that they don't normally do. And so this is now becomes the situation for a lot of organizations where the attacker has now become the insider, and this is why they're able to stick around in an environment for 197 plus days is because if we had the ability to catch them when they were walking in the front door, that was the greatest opportunity to catch them. Uh, once they've come in and they've, you know, put on your clothes out of your closet and acted like they're part of the family and walking around inside the house, it's really difficult now to kind of detect that they're an outsider. And now you're depending on things like behavioral analytics, you know, saying things like, you know, John Smith never has logged on at 4 a.m., and here's a log entry that shows he's logging on at 4 a.m. and that's suspicious, and being able to investigate that. Um, you know, but to your earlier question, I think I, I agree. I mean, we should be able to stop a lot of the noise and a lot of the earlier detections earlier in that process. The the difficulty in detection is exponentially greater once they get past uh, a certain point, and then you're almost at the mercy of extremely advanced detection capabilities, which a lot of organizations don't have the resources to pull off, or you're waiting on the attacker to do something, you know, make a mistake, like they hit the password a couple of times wrong, and they get locked out, right? And then the user goes to use, the pa use their credentials and find out that they find out that they're locked out. And this is a very, very typical way in which a lot of organizations find out that they're breached is because the attacker made a mistake. Uh, and so this is, you know, that's an unfortunate situation because at that point, it's very hard to understand what damage was done and what may have been potentially lost at that point. Thank you. We're all a little more scared now, I think. So thanks for that. Um, we've got one more question here. Um, this is an emailed question from Raj Sigamani, and I think this is a really good one to end with. Uh, what kinds of services in our facilities are available? at EY's Dallas cybersecurity offices or other offices throughout the country for entrepreneurs 
and are there potential opportunities to partner with EY or another company to address your own cybersecurity remedies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, so Dallas, uh, the Texas market for us is a very, very big um, cybersecurity uh, market for us. I mean, as I kind of alluded in, in, in one of my last slides, we're recruiting heavily out of uh, the United States Air Force and a couple of other um, government entities. Um, you'll find that the, the Air Force Information Warfare Center is in San Antonio, uh, and we're you know recruiting pretty heavily out of out of that market. So we have a, a, a pretty large presence in the Texas market, uh, and, and we are always um, looking for opportunities to you know partner you know one you know with clients and and uh, and and organizations in the market. One you know for one reason to to kind of do our part. I mean we you know we 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 look at this. Uh, entire problem as a problem that's not going to get solved by one or two of us. I mean, this is going to be, uh, this is important to our national security. This is important to our uh, economy, and you know, we look for the opportunities to kind of partner uh, to solve the greater, you know, the greater problem for the greater good, uh, without a doubt. Um, the other part of this is also, I think, um, to my earlier point around the number of product players and solutions that are out there. We, we're finding a lot of innovation occurring. Um, you know, an out-of-the-box thinking within a lot of smaller organizations. And so we don't look at this as, you know, this is all going to be solved by, a, you know, a handful of large organizations. We think that um, some of the, the most interesting innovation is happening in small startups. Um, and so we are bringing in a lot of organizations to come and, and team with us in the market, share war stories. Um, one of the things that we are doing is we're working with uh, Los Alamos National Labs um, out of New Mexico. Uh, a very you know heavily research focused organization, part of the Department of Energy. Um, you know, background-wise, these are the guys that invented the atomic bomb. You know, they just extreme levels of research is really uh, where their where their heritage is. We're working with them, you know, to kind of take companies to them to solve some of these problems. And so we have some of our larger clients have very very unique challenges that they're just no one has solved the, the, these problems. Um, and so what we're doing is we're really working with them in the market, bringing them to uh, entities like Los Alamos National Labs, and really looking for new and innovative ways to solve these problems. And so, um, you know, I, I grew up in this community, so I, I look at this as really, you know, I think cyber is going to be a, it's going to be a team sport for a long time. And, uh, you know, we welcome the opportunity to kind of team and, and work with others in, in this market. Great. Well, thank you, Anil. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks to all of you for taking the time to join us, and Anil and EY for this presentation and the answers to all these uh, complex questions. We have another. We happen to have another call on cybersecurity next month. We hope you can all join us on April 12th for a conference call about cyber espionage and the work of the House Intelligence Committee. That's with Congressman Jim Himes, who's the ranking member of the NSA and Cybersecurity Subcommittee on the House Intelligence Committee, and he'll talk about different cybersecurity policies and also the possible effects of the less frequent but just as dangerous nation-state cyber attacks on American businesses. We will email you an invitation to that call as part of our follow-up to this, along with the slides and a recording of today's presentation. Thanks again to all of you who attended today's webinar. We look forward to working with you again soon. Thanks.